proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. My name is Aaron. I'm here with Chris and Zach. And fellows, I guess the first order of a business is to talk about the Super Bowl. That was uh, some comeback by the Patriots, eh? That it was. was nuts. <laughs> I mean, most people were like exiting the stadium at halftime. I know that our uh, our uh, our producer, he was uh, pretty excited that a certain team was losing, and then I think he about lost his salvation <laughs> when he saw the way things worked out. He's he, upset right now. You can see it in his eyes. <laughs> You know they're they're saying Tom Brady is the goat. What do you what do you say to that, fellas? Do you know what goat is, Zach? Is that the greatest of all time? Oh well, that that may be true, but to be honest with you, what I was doing during the Super Bowl was sitting in a chair, reading about uh, the mortification of sin. So I was tra- oh. I was oh, <laughs> Jesus Duke. Uh, Jesus Duke. <laughs> so we we have a Sabbatarian in our midst. <laughs> well, the rest of us are breaking the Sabbath. Yeah. All right, all right. Touche, touche. <laughs> well, we're supposed to get back to uh, the doctrine of God, and this week we're on the topic of creation. Yep. Um, this is always a hot-button issue amongst evangelicals, um, even uh, confessionally Reformed, and specifically dealing with how long a day is and, and what all that looks like. But So today should be kind of a fun, fun discussion, but um, as you look at creation just generally, let's, let's look at... Um, what a couple maybe passages of scripture say. Obviously, you have Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God. Um, another passage maybe from the New Testament that is often um, quoted is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And obviously both of those, Genesis 1 and Hebrews 11, stress the fact that God is the creator and how he made things, he he did not use um, existing materials, and he spoke all things into existence. So there's definitely a lot here that's said about God. Um, when you look at creation, fellows, I guess my first question to you is, what what comes to mind as being maybe the most uh, awe-inspiring aspect of God in creation? Uh, I think just to jump right in with the... Uh the London Baptist Confession, if we go to chapter 4, uh, the first section, kind of answers the reason why God created, which is always something that we have to remind ourselves of, and especially with the differences of opinions between evangelicals of, you know, is it six literal days? Is it 6,000 years ago? Is it a couple, you know, billion years years ago? Um, I think uh, something that is not more important than that, but equally as important would be why did he create, you know? So that's a, that's a question that I think the confession answers pretty well in chapter four, uh, section one, which just says in the beginning, it pleased God, the father, son, and Holy spirit for the manifestation of the glory of his eternal power, wisdom, and goodness to create and make the world and all things therein, whether visible or invisible in the space of six days and all very good. 
And so chiefly the reason for God creating um, is for the manifestation of his glory and his eternal power. And so that's awe-inspiring for me, and it's it's kind of at least a common ground that I think um, all Reformed people, or probably even beyond that, even all evangelicals can agree with that, that the reason he creates is for his glory um, before we get into the details of, uh, you know, or the specifics of that. And just to jump in with the uh, the Belgian Confession, section 12 of the creation starts off, we believe that the Father, by the Word, that is, by his Son, has created of nothing the heaven, the earth, and all creatures as it seemed good unto him, giving unto every creature its being, shape, form, and several offices to serve its creator. I think the most awe-inspiring part of the, the biblical doctrine of creation is to consider that God creates out of nothing, yeah. that, that he is of such power and wisdom and understanding that he can merely speak and the universe and the world and everything in it all comes into being. Uh, I mean, that is just, it, it, it's beyond comprehension. I think uh, one of the things to keep in mind, too, is um, obviously everything be created, being created for God's glory, ultimately, um, we do see something special about the creation of man. And if you uh, jump to Genesis 1, um, verse 26 and 27, really, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So there's something different about um, the creation of man than everything else. Like you said, Chris, or like the Belgian Confession says, um, he gives everything its form, he gives everything its being, and yet there's something special about Genesis uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Mm -hmm. And so what do you guys think that means, really, to be made in the image of God? What, what does that encompass? I'll take a stab at that. I, I think clearly it comes back to the attributes of God, uh, those attributes that God has chosen to share with man, um, holiness, justice, goodness, truth. Um, when we look at those, we have them. Um, we have them now in a marred way mm -hmm. because of the fall, but Adam had them in a very uh, innocent, perfect way um, prior to the fall. And I, I love the illustration that is often used of the difference between the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. That the sun gives light, but the moon reflects that light, and and man being made in the image of God, his divine responsibility uh, was to uh, mirror that image of God in all of creation. In the sense, he was the best example of general revelation that declared the glory of God. Mm -hmm. um, yet, because of the fall, that messes up. And it's interesting when you look at Genesis. If you're new to the scriptures, you read Genesis, and you get through Genesis 1, and then in Genesis 2, you're reading the story again. Yeah. And I think for some people who are new to scripture, that can seem a bit confusing until you realize kind of chapter 1 is giving you this big overview of all creation, but chapter 2 is focusing and zeroing you in on the creation of man and the role of man, mm -hmm. this, the, the divine duty of man, the special... Um, responsibility, the cultural mandate, if you will. And as you zero in on that, then you begin to see how that's played out um, through uh, the scene in the garden where man falls and then how the inheritance of a promise, but also the inheritance of sin 
begin to battle <laughs> one another, and they look for a divine Messiah who will ultimately uh, crush sin and bring about the promise in perfection. But all that to say, uh, creation has so much to tell us, A, about who God is, but I think coming back to your point, also who we are mm-hmm. and why we exist and uh, kind of lay the foundation for everything um, as we read the Scripture. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. It's foundational. Genesis is a foundational book. Um, and if I could add just one more thing, I think a lot of times, um, and Chris, hit me if I'm wrong here, man, but I think people misuse Genesis. They treat it as a science book, mm-hmm. and that's not its intent. It, it, its goal was to teach us the story of redemption, not necessarily answer every scientific question we right. have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's really easy to get caught up in, in that whole side of it and miss really what the book of Genesis is intending to communicate to us about uh, who we are, who God is, uh, and this drama of redemption that all finds its beginning there. And I think I think the issue is, um, let, let's just assume, let's say it, it is a, a young earth, let's say it is six literal days, which I tend to lean that way anyway. Um, we the, the only problem that sometimes I encounter with that crowd that's adamant about it is like what you said, Aaron, they stop there and they're viewing it merely as scientific and you know, like I said, that's it very well may be that's the way that it happened, um, but we can't stop there. And we have to look at the implications of, like you said, you see the first prophecy of uh, the victory of Christ over Satan really there, you know? And so we can't just stop with creation. We have to uh, understand the implications that are there and not read it merely as scientific. And this might get me in trouble with some of our listeners, but that's, <laughs> that's why Meredith Klein in his framework hypothesis says, hey, what is the text really? What's its purpose? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't to lay a scientific uh, understanding of why and how everything came about, but it was leading us to the story of redemption. Let's keep it in context. And I think we do a disservice to the scriptures when we forced uh, a, a square truth, mm-hmm. so to speak, in a round peg hole, uh, or square peg in a round hole. And I think we, we create a problem there. It's interesting, though, when you look at this, you think of all the various uh, uh, views that came out. Um, people um, have held, uh, in dispensationalists, for example, the, the gap theory. Mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with the gap theory, it, it's the idea that between verse 1 and verse 2, there's a space of time that no one knows specifically how, f- how far and how long it is. But that in that time period, you have the fall of, of Satan and the fall of, 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 of the created beings of the heavens. And then you have the recreation, in a sense, yeah. uh, in chapter two or verse two. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that that's, that allows them to have all this time because that theory really came out at the time when science was starting to say the earth is older right. than what typically was, was viewed. And so they quickly kind of view it as stumbled to come up with an idea. Well, yeah, let's have a gap between verse one and two. We can make it as long as we need. And that's where you see people kind of, in my opinion, trying to make the Bible do something it wasn't intended to do. Yeah. And that's dangerous. Yeah, it is. I mean, Genesis does not contradict science. Uh, It contradicts scientific rationalism, or or, I'm sorry, scientific uh, naturalism, Uh, but you're not going to find any contradiction uh, between what science tells us and Genesis. Um, you know, and we have various ways, I think, of, uh, you know, there's been various interpretations that have tried to understand it in light of 
what science has to tell us. But I think we need to get past some of that and get down to what does this have to do with redemption? Um, I think a lot of the attacks that have come upon Genesis, uh, and perhaps even from the uh, scientific uh, naturalism kind of perspective, have really been trying to undermine the redemptive teaching of the Bible, not so much uh, just deal with it from a scientific perspective. Yeah. No, that's that's a, that's a solid point, Chris. I think it is it is an attack on the on the on the message of redemption, not just a, a scientific attack. And and yet, when we look at all these things, you've watched uh, Christian groups and and theologians try to answer in response to how you can have an older Earth. We have everything from the day age theory, mm-hmm. all right. Um, um, Meredith Klein and and those who hold to the framework hypothesis who say, I don't care how old it is. Yeah, God could have created it in a second. He could have created it over thousands of years. It doesn't matter because the point is, it's really about a story of, of redemption. Um, but one of the things I've always struggled with, and I, I mean, just kind of put my own view out there, is you don't have the sun and moon until day four. Yeah. So at, at day four, at the very minimum, you have a, a, a 24-hour cycle. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're going to if you're going to start wrestling with things scientifically the, why did god do that well he gave he gave a pattern for man i mean this comes into uh into the in the idea of sabbath rest right mm-hmm. and it comes into the way in which god expects man to live and and how to live in obedience to him and how to honor him and worship him and all of these things start coming in play and the goal isn't necessarily to debate the amount of time but we miss so often the principles of that God had a certain way that his creation was to honor him. Mm-hmm. Man fails in that, and that was the whole reason he sent his son in the first place. But, uh, I mean, I, I'm not trying to start debates over how long <laughs> the day is and all that. I'm just I'm using that as an illustration that we have to at least agree that there in, in the fourth day we do have a, a setting for a 24-hour period yeah. that begins to say man is supposed to honor the Sabbath, which a few of us, uh, Chris specifically, broke um, watching the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think, um, like you pointed out, the the day three and four. Um, I, I think it is likely, and just to put my view out there, like I said, I, I lean toward the the six days, and I am in line with my confession at that point, where it just it just says, "Yep, he created it in the span of six literal days." And when I read it, um, not to just take like the cop out, well, face value, that's what it says. But in all honesty, it seems most likely. Just when I read it through, um, and especially when you take the theological implications of the Sabbath, it just makes sense that that's that's what it was for me. I know that some people listening probably would take issue with that and call me a, a science denier and a, maybe a climate change denier or even something like that, you know. But yeah, that's that's pretty much my view. Yeah, the only time I ever start running into trouble with people is as soon as we start running into uh, theories of Genesis where there's no longer a historical atom. Yeah. And all of these things are kind of uh, being explained away. I'm like, well, okay, hang on a second, because now you're contradicting Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And you're contradicting Paul. And uh, you know, as soon as your uh, your understanding of things starts heading in that direction, I think you're in a lot uh, of trouble and really heading into dangerous ground because think, you're undermining the gospel itself. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I I tend to be pretty gracious with everyone um, when it comes to their different theories of uh, you know how how long right. how how old is the Earth um, up until like you said, Chris, when it gets to 
was there a literal Adam and was he literally the first human being? If that isn't taken um, to be 100% literal and at face value, then like you said, there's huge theological problems. You're disagreeing with Christ. Um, and also just the the whole figure, uh, the whole, um, not figure, the whole types of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, federal headship, you know? When you look mm-hmm. at uh, Romans chapter 5, you see death in Adam and life in Christ. And without a without a literal Adam, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, you know? No, you, you obliterate uh, the federal headship. You mm-hmm. obliterate the need for a Messiah who's capable of, of, t- of dealing with sin for, for, for those who would place their faith and trust in him. Yeah. It, it's, yep. it, it is very interesting, you know, and we, and look how many books, look how much attention, how long a day has gotten, mm-hmm. you know, the study of the Hebrew words and, yep. and the discussion at length. And, and, and I'm glad to hear you guys say that, Hey, I'm not going to sit here and argue uh, over that, but the moment you start attacking things that are foundational to uh, historic Adam stuff, we, we have some huge issues now. Right. What's interesting is most people who are arguing about the day would say, you start playing with that, you're inevitably going to come and start playing with historic yeah. Adam. And so I, I understand why they make a line in the sand and they want to try to make everything fit. But it gets crazy. I mean, let's be honest. You know, it, it clearly does say in Scripture, one day is a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you clearly have uh, in Scripture a you don't have sun and moon until the fourth day. But obviously, God is a God who's consistent, and it makes sense that if he's going to do that in day four, why would he not operate in the same way right. prior to that? With God, there is no time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a million aspects that you have to look at these this in the, in the sense of through the lens to try to be able to make uh, judgment calls. But when it all boils down, I think we have to say, is somebody's position taking away from um, the way in which atonement is described in Scripture, right? You know, I mean, that's 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 got to be a, where we draw a line in the sand hard. And I, th- I think part of the reason why we have to draw a line there, not only because of the redemptive implications with a with a non literal um, Adam, is also because it gets into the area of people who don't think there's a little literal Adam are kind of importing a theistic evolution, or they're trying to you know Christianize. They feel like they're kind of forced because well, evolution is obviously true, and this is what they're assuming, you know. Evolution is obviously true, so how can I fit that with the story of the Bible? And so then they come up with, well, maybe maybe Adam was the first fully human, you know, creature, and then up until then, there's kind of like a, a hom- hominids evolving and becoming more and more um, human until you get the first Homo sapien, which is Adam. And so that's kind of how they get there. But even with that, I'm I'm really uncomfortable because you're yeah. not even at that point. You're not even really saying. Uh, God did this 100% himself in this time period. And now you're importing like a sec- uh, evolution isn't just a system. It's a whole worldview that you're importing into a Christian worldview. And they just can't really coincide as far as I'm concerned. And you start running down a road of biblical compromise yeah. where each one of these things starts cascading into other theological problems that it creates. Um, you know, rather than even considering that science is not settled. Um, they're, they're constantly, scientists are discovering new things and understanding new things. And so rather than being so quick to say, well, I guess I better try and do what I can to make the Bible fit the latest theory of whatever, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps there needs to be a little more of a line drawn in the sand there, uh, and trusting, uh, in what scripture has to say about this and, uh, and allowing science to do what it does, 
and and, and tell us about the world and the universe, but also understanding that those those understandings of science are not God breathed. Right. I think one of the things we have to sometimes uh, just be bolder about is just our presuppositions. We don't have to be embarrassed of them. You know, like we as Christians are coming to the table with the presupposition that scripture is true, you know? Um, And sometimes when you get towards like the evidential apologetic stuff, a lot of times uh, some of us like to push, push the Bible aside and say, well, let's just talk the science aspect of it um, because they're, I I don't don't think they're actually embarrassed, but they, they behave as if they were embarrassed that, I'm just starting from the Bible, assuming it's true, you know, um, and we have to do that. We have to be willing to do that. And another reason for that is because the other side isn't pretending to be neutral either. There's not really a neutral point here. And so when evolutionists say, well, we're just going by the science, you know, um, <clears throat> that's not completely true because they're coming presupposing that there is no God and they're, they're supposing scientific naturalism, like you said earlier, Chris. And so we have to be honest that we're coming to the table with presuppositions on both sides. And so it's kind of a pet peeve when people say, well, I'm just going by science. And so you're trying to bring faith in the Bible. And, and it's like, well, you've got a huge presupposition there, you know, as well. It's not, you're not just going by science. Yeah, there's definitely presuppositions that are held on both sides. Right. And, uh, and that's one of the keys is getting, you know, people to acknowledge what those presuppositions are. Uh, we have to acknowledge ours, and they have to acknowledge theirs. And once you get those things down, the conversation can begin. But until we're willing to admit that there are certain presuppositions that are being held to, there are certain things that we are taking for granted, uh, you know, you're not going to have a, a very honest conversation or discussion about these kind of things until we get to that point. What do, what do we do in and I guess I'm kind of playing a little bit of devil's advocate here with the fact that many in the science world of science love to point out that the, the church has historically gotten some major things wrong, right? Um, they love to point out the fact that the, the church believed that the world was flat, mm-hmm. that, that they thought that the, the world was at the center of the universe as opposed to the sun. These are the stuff you hear all the time. What do you, how do you guys, uh, deal with that when those kinds of things are thrown out from those who at least have a little bit of scientific knowledge? I think in some cases, uh, there's a little bit of a a false assumption about some of those things. Uh, In some cases, you know, everybody in general believed some of those things. And on the other side of it, we also have to remember that the church is not infallible. Right. Uh, God's word is infallible. And uh, in some cases, I think the Bible has spoken truthfully about certain things that the church didn't understand, Christians uh, didn't perceive. And, uh, you know, now we're able to look back and go, well, look, I mean, the the Bible's got this right. Christians may have gotten this wrong, but but God's word didn't miss it. I've had people actually floored when I said, I believe in evolution. What? (laughs) <laughs> Our pastor believes in evolution. Well, hold on. I, I, I don't believe in macro evolution, mm-hmm. right? but I definitely believe in micro evolution. Absolutely. Within a species, there is change, sure. and we can see that, but you don't have any proof of one species jumping to another right. species. That's what they're constantly looking for to be able to prove their theories, you know, and I think it's putting, let, let's, let's get our terms right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's put everything out on the table. Let's have honest discussions. And I think sometimes the church has ran from that when they could engage that because 
as you've already stated, Chris, science is still learning. Science is still discussing. There, it's not fixed, and, and right. although they they pretend it is, it's not. And when you, oh, you even have guys like uh, Stephen Gould and his uh, his hopeful monster and this theory of punctuated equilibrium, and saying, look, the the time, long periods of time, don't help our theory. He would say, and uh, that you've got to imagine that one creature just suddenly birthed this radically different creature. That evolution didn't happen slowly over millions of years, but that it actually took place very quickly. And and he would contradict the entire rest of the scientific community that would hold to the other view. So it is by no means settled. Kind of bringing it back to um, the idea of. Uh, the creation of man being special. Obviously, we know that now we're all fallen, like our wills are are enslaved to sin from birth. Um, but Adam and Eve are kind of in a different category, right? Because they're created perfect, yet with the possibility of sinning. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that sometimes we forget when we think of God being, uh, we, like we mentioned last week, God not being the author of sin, you know? Um, <clears throat> so he creates Adam and Eve perfect, but there is a possibility for them to transgress, which they end up doing. So I don't know if you guys want to speak to that, um, like the nature of Adam and Eve's will. We don't have a ton on it revealed, um, but it is different than ours now, post-fall, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the illustration, you know, I, I love to bring up when we talk about will. I believe in free will, and people, you know, again, are a little surprised by that. And I think, Chris, you talked about that in the last podcast, the difference between the bondage of the will and the freedom of the will, you know, the difference between Luther mm-hmm. and, and Edwards. Um, and, and we do believe in the freedom of the will. It's just our freedom is very limited. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I use the example when you go to the movie theaters. Whoops, I, I hope that doesn't offend the Baptists. <laughs> but <laughs> No, you didn't say they played cards or <laughs> smoked or drank or anything, so okay. it should be good. <laughs> when you go to the movie theater, at least here, when you go to the movie theater, you got to choose your seat on the screen. And I use this example all the time. I can choose any seat I want except the ones that are already taken. So I have, I have freedom, but I, it's limited. And I think when we come back to Adam and Eve, there was a difference in their limitedness. Yeah. Um, they still couldn't do anything they wanted. They couldn't be God. Right. Um, but it was much more free than mine, is specifically in the pursuit of holiness, in the pursuit of obedience. Um, I, I, as Calvin says, I have a, a, an issue with my heart because it's an idol factory, mm-hmm. and I'm constantly falling in love with the wrong thing. And I think that comes down to the very uh, crux of the matter of what it means to be fallen and, and the difference between the original Adam and his prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Whatever the posterity. Word is. Thank you, thank you. Whatever the. <laughs> That's word why I'm is. here. Yeah, and so what you know when you look at that and you, and you and you break that out, you recognize very clearly that there is some distinct differences between the original creation uh, created uh, one Adam and 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 those who are here today us, but. We have to be careful that we don't make uh, Adam into some type of superhuman, um, you know, very different right. than than us in the sense that, uh, you know, when he fell, we fell because he was our representative, which means he represented who we are mm-hmm. and, and what we are, and and that's what why Christ had to become man, and and so it, it's we got to be careful there. I would say when we deal with this, these early chapters of Genesis and. And who Adam is. Yeah, I think jumping uh, back to the uh, 1689, the same chapter, uh, chapter 4, a little bit further down in the first section, I like the way it describes uh, the nature of 
Adam and Eve's will. If you kind of jump down through that paragraph, it says, uh, basically, they have the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it, and yet under a possibility of transgressing, being left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. And so that's that's a certain level of freedom in the pursuit of holiness that we don't have because we are his posterity, right, <laughs> um, descended from him. Um, and so we see him as the first man who has a greater degree of uh, I don't know, righteous capability. I want to be careful with hey, what I say. But. Hey, Chris, how how humbling is it when you think about the fact that man was created out of dust? Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, of all that God could have created us from, he creates you from dust, which, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, that that's a pretty humbling beginning. And then yet, out of all creation, they're the most honored in the sense that they're, they're alone made in God's image. Let us make man in our image. I mean, it, it's pretty amazing that he takes the most humbling position and then yeah. he puts us in the most, uh, um, for as far as creation goes, high seat there is. And then mm-hmm. when we fall and rebel against him, he, he doesn't just leave us in our, our misery. He sends his own son in pursuit of us. I mean, it's absolutely mind-blowing when you look at it. And again, that's all in the foundational chapters of Genesis. Yeah, we uh, are the only thing that God creates that he directly speaks to and communicates with in Genesis. I um, mean, we, we have him pronouncing over uh, the the physical creation and uh, and creating all the animals. But to Adam and Eve, he speaks. And uh, I, I think that's an incredible thing to see us going from the dust of the earth and being created into this image bearer of God uh, to whom God directly communicates. Um, and, you know, jumping back to what we were saying about the, the nature of Adam and Eve, I think, I can't remember who put it in these terms, but that there are four states of man in Scripture as it relates to the will and to sin, and uh, basically that uh, there's some fancy Latin terms for this that I don't remember, but that basically Adam and Eve were sinless, yet able to sin. Then there is their fallen posterity, who is sinful and not able not to sin. Then there is the, the redeemed, the Christian, who has been regenerated, who is sinful and yet able not to sin. And then there's the final state, the glorified state, in which we are sinless and not able to sin. Isn't that the reason it says in Scripture that the angels marvel at these things? Because they themselves, being a created being, in their rebellion, or the rebellion of some, they saw no redemption. Right. And yet, in the uh, in the in the in the fallenness of man, God sends His own Son for redemption, and that is just a mind blowing again concept. And you and you look at as you as you stated so clearly there, Chris, the the stages of that free will and what that free will looks like. Mm-hmm. When we uh, when we look at um, creation and the creation account. And when we fully grasp that, I think it helps us, and I feel like we talk about Job every week, but uh, it does help us understand why his, why God's rebuke to Job is, like, so hard, you know? Um, from Job's perspective, you know, it seems hard, but when we realize that God is the creator, and when you look at, like, kind of his rhetorical questions that he's asking Job, they all have to do with his uh, function as creator. Like, the reason that you don't have a 
right to question me is because I've done all this and look what I've made. Where were you when I did this? You know, and I think that just kind of a, a healthy understanding of Genesis really makes passages like that even come more alive and make more sense. Just when you understand the nature of God and why he has the right to um, dictate what happens, you know. Well, let's jump to the to the creation of the woman, because it, it's it's obviously a lot is written and discussed about the fact that she's made from Adam's rib. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Adam names her well, Whoa Man, you know, and uh, <laughs> Whoa Man. He thought she looked good. That's yeah. why he said that. <laughs> and and when you look at that, um, the the uh, the the principle laid of the relationship between man and woman as as a foundational element right here in Genesis, right established in God's created order. So I'd like you guys just to kind of take that apart a little bit, just about the 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 oneness and the a- aspect of the relationship between man and woman. Well, I think looking back to what Genesis has to say about the creation of man and then subsequently the creation of woman, um, it does set a pattern uh, that will exist throughout the rest of Scripture and clear into the New Testament, um, which admittedly today isn't a very popular uh, understanding of of the nature of man and woman uh, and the distinct roles that God has given man and woman. Uh, and, you know, I think it's interesting as we look at those things in Paul's writings and the pastoral epistles, and there is pushback against those things. And uh, we, we hear many people who want to uh, move away from those things and say, well, those were just cultural issues, the roles of men and women in biblical times, but that's not the case today, that Paul includes the the creation order, that he doesn't say, well, this is how it is today, that he actually goes back to uh, the creation order to establish those things. I think, I think um, part of that, too, is understanding that there's a, a difference between all the other creation, and then obviously man is created in the image of God, and so is woman, too. So there's a difference in role, although there's a there's a equality in their value. You know, they're both created in the image of God, and yet, like you said, Chris, even though it's not popular, there's a difference in role that he's made, um, and the fact that there's two genders, right? <laughs> that he, mm-hmm. he actually makes them male and female, and that's something that Scripture teaches, and our confessions all, all say that as well, um, which is not a... Uh, a huge, you know, you're not going to put that on a t-shirt and like walk down uh, a, a main popular street in a city without getting some dirty looks or something, you know? Well, even, even the, even this quote, you know, uh, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This idea that um, a child who's raised and grows up in the household of his mother and father and, 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 and trained in the way in which he should live there's a there's a cutting off of that mm-hmm. relationship as he's brought together with his wife, and then the the imagery there is obviously the one fleshness um, that that's given, which says something um, I mean mysterious that occurs between the husband and the wife, and yet you look today at the sexual revolution, you look at the effects of the '60s and the '70s, and and today where we're at, where we're 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 just even struggling with identity as far as gender goes, it's an attack. It's a full um, frontal attack on the Book of Genesis, and yeah. and, it, and it's an attack on 
the divine order God has established, which you guys keep saying mm-hmm. our, our culture wouldn't like. They wouldn't like it if you wore that T-shirt. They wouldn't like it if you talked about these things. Yet by not talking about these things, by being silent, we're doing a disservice to the very divine order that God has set and, and, and place. I mean, we're basically, um, you know, I'm very disturbed by the fact that in, in our society today, people are willing to give hormone, hormonal uh, uh, treatment to kids because a kid thinks it's a girl, thinks she's a boy, or a boy thinks she's a girl. And what, I don't know if I said that right, but whatever. You get the point. Yeah. It's so confusing. And we're letting these kids toy with something that is given by God. Right. And 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 it, and it was established in creation order, and I, I don't know about you guys, but that just really bothers me that we have this full-on attack by culture, um, not just on this, the message of redemption, but even in the very um, bones of of God's design. I think uh, right. the I think the church is kind of taken by surprise uh, with how much. Um, animosity there is, you know, toward the created order, toward there being gender being binary, um, and God's created roles of husband and wife. And I'm not really sure that we should be so, so shocked by that because uh, the, not to bash the church, obviously, but part of the problem is, um, not even the gender issue, but just the marriage issue, which the church at some point has gotten kind of soft in certain areas on issues of marriage. You know what I mean? And so it is just like a slope from there. And so we, we, we got a little bit lax on eh, marriage. Is it for a lifetime? And is it um, and even some churches today, which, you know, using the term church loosely with, with uh, same-sex marriage. Um, and now everyone's shocked that there's all this crazy stuff going on now. But really, it started a long time ago, like you said, with the sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s and stuff like that. Um, we shouldn't really be shocked at how far it's gotten at this point. You know, and sometimes it seems like we've maybe gone a little bit of sleep at the wheel, even with just the issue of marriage itself as the church, you know, and that being a created thing um, or that being an institution created by God and his word. And we're by no means the first culture to go down this road. Um, we might be taking it technologically uh, further than other cultures have taken it, but it's definitely these are things that have existed in various cultures throughout history. And in every case, uh, it, it is a rebellion against the created order and ultimately a rebellion against the creator in whose image we are made. Um, you know, I, I always think when people say, well, God made me this way, that no, God did not make you that way. Sin has made you that way. Now, the scripture tells us how God has made us and what the creator's uh, order uh, and, and roles are for those whom he has made. And so really what this is, is it is sinful rebellion against God, against his created order. And it, it as people embrace this, it is a, a shaking of their fist to the sky of saying, I won't be what you've made me. Uh, it, it is the worship of the, uh, the wished for autonomous self, if you think about um, even in Romans 1, right, uh, you've got uh, Romans 1, um, 
starting at the very beginning of that chapter, um, uh, references to creation and God creating the world, and those things give knowledge of God, and they demonstrate his glory. And then the the issue isn't that God makes people sin. The issue is that you have sinful man who sees that, chooses to turn their back on on creation and reject it, and and actually worship it instead of God, right? And then you go down towards the end of chapter 1, and you have uh, Paul saying that not only are they aware of God's righteous decree, but now they're just willfully rebelling against it. And that all comes back to... Um, a lot of times we don't tie in Genesis and Romans 1, but there's really a huge connection there with the doctrine of creation, that he is the creator. He created things a certain way, and part of the, part of the reason that our sin is so heinous against him is because we're, we're aware of that. We know that he's the creator. We know about his decree. We know about male and female, and yet we choose to rebel against that. Yeah, and in the sense of Romans 1 as well, you know, people I, I've heard say, well, you know, because these things are happening, because people are doing these things, it's going to invite the judgment of God. And I think that's true. But I think Romans 1 goes beyond that to say that as people are given over to these things, it is a manifestation in and of itself of the judgment of God. Right. That his judgment is that he gives people over to their sin. Which really comes back to the whole point of why God created in the first place. It was for his glory. Yeah. And everything you guys have been talking about is the creation shaking its fists at God, saying, we, why have you made us like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, want, we, we have our own desires of what we want to be. And yet, even the created order, you look at it, whether it's a homosexual lifestyle or it's uh, gender reassignment, these things don't allow for the natural um, uh, birth of children. It right. doesn't. It doesn't allow for the you know the people who've had these changes. There's all kinds of documentation that they regret the changes that they that they've been had, and and you look at that, and I and I understand there is a deep struggle for those who are struggling with this, and I want to be sensitive to that. Yeah. Yeah. But because sin does all kinds of goofy things to our perspective of life. But the reality is the creation order itself is screaming one way to the glory of God, mm-hmm. and then we ignore the, the, the pages of Scripture, his special revelation, which declare why he's done what he's done. And, well, you know, and to, oh, go ahead. No, Sorry. go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, the, we're, we've been talking about a lot of the negative aspect of this. Um, the great thing is to see that, as we began today talking about being made in the image of God, that uh, Calvin uses the analogy of a broken mirror, that the image of God in us has not been erased, but it has been effaced. And that uh, in various ways, even unbelievers still image God, though broken and imperfectly and distorted. The image of God seen in them is distorted. And that what takes place in us in Christ as we are regenerated, born again, born of the Spirit, is that God begins to mend the mirror. And that all of those sinful things in us that have distorted and corrupted the image of God in us uh, begin to be corrected. And so that over the course of our lives, as we walk with Christ and uh, grow in our sanctification, is that that image of God is being restored in us, that we will more and more reflect Christ and reflect the glory of the Creator. 
and like you said, Chris, um, the the image of God is still there, but it's it's broken. Um, you know, it's not it's not perfect anymore. Uh, think about uh, even even our marriages, right? They're not going to be perfect because we've got two sinful people, and yet we see all throughout the New Testament um, the illustration being made of uh, Christ and His Church, right, is like a husband and wife, and so that doesn't work with a man and a man or a woman and a woman. The analogy doesn't doesn't happen that way. But when you look at a husband and a wife serving faithfully, you see a more beautiful picture painted of the gospel, really. And even though we experience that in a in a, a world broken with sin, and even though we're plagued by sin ourselves, we still get a really uh, a nice, clear picture of what the gospel is when we look at the relationship between a husband and a wife as God created, you know, and then we can understand the gospel more fully. Yeah, what you guys are saying is it's it's the glory of God is in the design, but then the glory of God is in the redemption. Yeah. And, yeah. and the redesign, um, the, the, the re-mirroring of that. And that's, that's encouraging when you look from Genesis to Revelation, because you see in Revelation the throne room experience and and those broken, uh, messed up people gathered around the throne singing holy, 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 mm-hmm. you know? I mean, so what a beautiful crescendo <laughs> to a long story of failure, sin, and people shaking their fist, yeah. and, and, and a beautiful picture yeah. of redemption. I think uh, to quote Piper on this, he said, uh, what Christ has done for those who are in him is far greater than what Adam did for those who were in him. That uh, that somehow in the end, in spite of everything that has taken place because of Adam's sin and, and plunging the race into the fall, will ultimately serve the greater glory of God. Just to kind of bring it to like a, maybe like a little bit of a practical um, application, because I think sometimes when we talk about the doctrine of creation, especially when we talk about like age of the earth and and uh, a literal six days and stuff. Sometimes it's kind of like, well, what what good is any of this, you know? And I think that comes back to what we said earlier. We have to make sure we're not just reading it scientifically. We have to look at the redemptive um, narrative there, and we have to look at the image of God. So understanding that we have been created in the image of God, and we all agree on that regardless of your theory of the age of the earth and stuff. Knowing that we have been created in, in the image of God, how does that impact how we treat others? Which might seem like a you know, a super easy question, like, oh, we should treat them good. But like, seriously, think about how should we treat others, especially others in sins of rebellion. So one of the things that's always offered, you know, as an attack on the church is you guys are so hateful toward homosexuals. Um, And, you know, to some extent, I'm, I'm sure that there's been plenty of bad examples of how to treat people that struggle with things like that. But recognizing that even though they're in a, a heinous sin, they are in the image of God. Right, and so how does it impact how we reach out to them or treat them as believers? Well, let, let me back up a little bit first. I'll take the first stab at this, and then Chris can clean up on my mess. Um, <laughs> if, you know, the the first thing when I when I look at it, there was a there was an article not too long ago. It kind of hit the news of some some boys who cut off a, a dog's ears. Oh, I saw and that. nose, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah and and, and it, it infuriated me. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's not because I'm a tree hugger, okay? It, but it infuriated me because we live in a society that people take advantage of, of, of the weak, weaker vessel, the weaker thing, the, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a child uh, in the womb or a, a dog, uh, whatever. And that is a, 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 du- a direct attack on the role of man in the garden. Right. Man yeah. was given dominion. And his job was to be, in a sense, 
uh, a prophet, a priest, and a king in that garden. Now, you could argue, well, the priestly element wasn't there in the sense of sacrificial because there wasn't sin, and, and I get all that, but, but there was still the responsibility of prayer and worship of God. So follow me here. And so in that, even in that garden element, we were given that divine responsibility. You follow that throughout, and you see constantly man... Uh, in in the stories of the Bible, throwing down their responsibility of of kingship, throwing down the responsibility of being good prophets, uh, good priests, and uh, ultimately that brings the 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 high point of of Christ, who is the perfect priest and king. But what what I look at in that is how quickly we're willing to throw away that responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I think we miss something far greater when we realize that human beings are, 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 are made in the image of God. Whether we like the next door neighbor we have or not, they are the highest element of, of, of creation in that these individuals were all made in the glory of God, in the image of God, mm-hmm. uh, for the glory of God. And, and I think we've got to remember that. So when you're mad at your neighbor, when somebody cuts you off on the road, uh, when you're talking about uh, Black Lives Matter, when you're talking about uh, children in the womb, when you're talking about uh, um, somebody who's debating you on a scientific point that you totally disagree with, whatever the case, these people were made in the image of God. And as a, uh, a, a person who's been given uh, dominion, I have a responsibility in protecting them, loving them, being gracious to them, and serving them. And sometimes the best way I can serve them is by being very truthful, not sometimes, always by being very truthful, yeah. but truth in love. And yeah. I think we miss that in society. Yeah. It's really difficult because on the one hand, we're living in a, a culture and a society where uh, Everybody needs safe spaces to where you can't even say something that would challenge or contradict somebody's opinion or worldview without it being deemed as hate speech. Um, and now that that really that kind of thing shuts down all dialogue, because if that's the case, we can't question anything um, we just have to let, uh, or people would want us to let just uh, relativism reign, and uh, no one can say anything unless it agrees with what you already believe. Um, that's a challenge that we face. But on the other side, I totally agree with what you were saying there, that as we see people as being made in the image of God, we see people as bearing an inherent dignity and value, and which is contradictory to the worldview of scientific naturalism. If we're just all stardust, then what's it matter what happens to anyone? Um, Who cares if someone says something mean to somebody else? Uh, Who cares if somebody was mistreated? They're just stardust. There's no objective uh, value given to anyone. And so what's it matter? But in our worldview, in the biblical worldview, all of us, even those of us who are not Christians, uh, even unbelievers, still are image bearers of God who are created bearing that worth and dignity and that we approach them lovingly, respectfully, uh, and that we want to honor them as the image bearers they are. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't challenge them or or contradict their views on things, but that as we do, we do so with grace and love and understanding. 
Yeah, who help me out, guys? Who's the who's the atheist who a few years back uh, ended up getting cancer and dying? He was really really famous. He did like that a, Hitchens. Hitchens, yes. Um, Hitchens. He uh, is one of the things that maybe people don't know about him off top of your off top of your head is that he was a pro life atheist. You know, and so my question to him would be why? Like, with your worldview, why on earth do you give any type of inherent value to human beings at all? You know. And like you said, Chris, like we have, we have a, uh, a a grounds for saying that things like abortion is wrong. Why why is it murder? You know why is murder so bad? Why is rape so bad? Why are all these things so bad? And it's because they're an assault upon the image of God. They're ass- assault upon fellow man who's created uh, in a special way by God in His image. And so I, I don't understand um, uh, a worldview that doesn't begin with God creating man as as being able to uh, justify any kind of value given to man, you know? Right. Know, and what where does that value come from? <laughs> what it ultimately shows is the image of God in the heart of man, the law of God written upon our hearts, uh, popping up con- in, in contradiction to the unbeliever's worldview, the scientific naturalistic worldview, uh, and, and then immediately being suppressed. Um, they would say, you know, yes, I, I believe this is wrong, even though that really doesn't make any sense in light of the rest of their worldview. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it just testifies to exactly what the Scripture says, that that image of God is there, but that it is being rebelled against, it is being suppressed, but you do see it kind of pop up from time to time. Great conversation, guys, on the uh, creation of God, and uh, look forward next week to we get into the discussion of the providence of God. And how he works out his decrees, not only through creation, as we talked about today, but he works out his decrees, obviously, through his problems. So, see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook page. Don't want to fade away. <laughs> Did we get that? Can we open with that? <laughs> <laughs> Was that a Daughtry song? <laughs> <laughs>